The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is it that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves." So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. So if you guys follow along with us on our website or on our app, uh, one of the things that we do every week is we send out to you the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at the next Sunday. And so this past Monday when my wife got that, she read through Exodus 18 that you just heard a part of. And, uh, and then I could tell that she was feeling a little nervous for me because <laughs> she came to me and she said, all right, so um, <clears throat> like, what are you going to do with this? You know, and, uh, and I hadn't yet read it. I mean, I, you know, I've read it before, but I hadn't like gotten into it because I try to shut down completely on Monday. Uh, and so then I just experienced this flash of about five seconds of panic and just letting you in okay just keeping it real and then she sensed my panic and then she rushed to my aid and she reminded me of something that I have learned by experience and here's what it is it is that you know as you read through the Bible as you study through the Bible as we work together as a faith family through the Bible you know at times you you come to passages of scriptures and stories and so forth they're just kind of obscure and you go huh all right, you know, and you move on. I mean, in other words, it, it's not like the parting of the Red Sea, every single story. But what I've discovered, having done this now for a long time, is that sometimes those stories are the best stories. And I think that's kind of God's little joke on me. Like, I think he comes to me and I see that story. Like there, you know, parting of the Red Sea, you got that one start on your calendar if you're a pastor, right? But, but when you come to something like this, you're kind of going, ah, and then we're going to do that one. And God says, yeah, let's do that one. Let's do it. And here's what I'm going to show you, that all of my word is my word, that it is all of it helpful and practical and powerful. And that is exactly what, once again, I discovered this week. This is a really powerful story, believe it or not. It's incredibly freeing. And the reason is, as you come to it, as you read it, as I studied it this week, I was reminded that even Moses, and I just want to pause for a second and develop that because maybe you're just joining us and it's like, you know, you might have heard of Moses, but maybe you're not completely familiar with Moses. Moses, guys, was an unqualified genius. When you read his writings, you just know. Nobody argues with that. Nobody quibbles about that. This unqualified genius, if you know his story, had all of his intellectual capacities cultivated in the greatest educational system in all likelihood in his day being raised in the palace of Pharaoh. 
Remarkable guy beyond the intellectual capacities. He was uncommonly strong, physically, emotionally, spiritually. The man was epically gifted. There's no question about that. In addition to that, oh yeah, and by the way, this man Moses watched God do a multitude of stunning, startling, you have got to be kidding me, miracles, and himself performed several of those miracles. It's amazing. Moses, if you know his story, was somebody who spoke to God in person on a regular basis. So who else does that? The story is powerful, this story, because as I came to it this week, I realized that even Moses needed help. So here's what that means. That frees me to admit that I need help, and then it frees me to go out and actively look for that help that I recognize that I need in the form of other people. Now, why do I say that? Because that's how God sent it to Moses here in the form of his father-in-law. And not just here, but all the way through his life we see this pattern. From the day this guy is born, he needs help. Amazing. He's born under the death decree of Pharaoh. You remember the story because as a means of population control, the Israelites are populating too quickly in this land of Egypt and they're the slave nation within the greater nation of Egypt. And so Pharaoh says, all right, all of the male Israelite children that are born are to be thrown into the Nile River. And of course, Moses' mother is incapable of doing that. And so she takes this baby and she puts him in the Nile River, but she puts him in a waterproof basket first. And then she floats him along the side of the river in the reeds. And what happens? God rescues Moses by sending him help in the form of probably the only person who could have defied the death decree of Pharaoh, which is his own daughter. Pharaoh's daughter, who finds the baby, falls in love with the baby adopts him, brings him up in her palace, thus the education. It's remarkable, but you continue to see it as you move through his life. Moses sides with the Israelites as opposed to the Egyptians, and he's exiled from Egypt. He goes out into the desert where he meets his wife and gets to know his father-in-law, who he works for for 40 years as a shepherd. And he's out there tending the sheep, and he sees God. Well, he sees a burning bush, but It's God in the burning bush, and God speaks with Moses and said, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt, and you're going to become the deliverer of my people. You're going to lead them out of 430 years of slavery. And Moses says, hey, that is a fantastic idea, except I'm not your guy. Like, I am the wrong guy for this job, God. And the reason that I'm the wrong guy for this job is because I am a terrible public speaker. God says, I've got you, buddy. No problem there. I'm sending you help in the form of your brother Aaron, who incidentally is also going to be a good friend. And by the way, he's on his way out to meet you right now. He needed help. He leads the people of Israel out of Egypt. They are not a warlike people. They've been enslaved for 430 years. They don't know how to do battle. He needs a general. God gives him Joshua. Joshua trains and raises up the army, if you will. Joshua then becomes his successor in the end, so he's got an apprentice in training. God is giving him help. And when they go to battle against the Amalekites, and we saw this, what happens? Moses stands above the battle and he looks down in the valley where it's all happening. And as long as he has his hands in the air, it's the form of a cross, if you think of it. As long as his hands are in the air and he's praying for the people of God in the posture of prayer, they prevail, but he can't hold them up. He's not strong enough. So his brother Aaron takes one arm. A guy named Hur takes the other arm. And the armies prevail. And then, of course, here... Moses has a governmental issue. There is a major inefficiency in the government of Israel. He's the only judge, and his father-in-law shows up, and he comes to what is no doubt, in this moment, the greatest man on earth, 
Moses. He's just decimated Pharaoh in Egypt. God, who is the creator God, is on his side. Like, who can stand up to this guy? He comes to the greatest man of earth on earth, Jethro does, and he says, listen, this is too heavy for you. And it's not working for the people either. Like, it's too heavy for them. It is terrifically inefficient. It is so frustrating. These people are like getting really agitated. They're never getting their case heard because there's a major backlog at the courthouse because there's only one judge. And since I'm an organizational genius, here's exactly what you need to do. Moses, what you are doing, he says, is not right. Here's the cure. Do this. And that's exactly what Moses does, which is pretty striking. Pretty amazing. So here's the deal. It's a powerful and liberating story if it causes you to go, hey, you know what? If Moses needed help, I need help. And I am ready to admit that. There are things in my life that, I'm, if I'm honest, are just too heavy. And then to begin to actively look for those people that God has placed into your life or that, brings in, that he brings into your life, who can help? And what I want to do is give you two categories of people. So the first is I think you ought to be looking for mentors. And I'm going to give you a definition for each of these, but a mentor is a teacher, trainer, and a coach all rolled into one person. That's a mentor. A mentor is typically somebody who is further down the road of life than you are, if not actually in years, than actually in experience in whatever area of life it is that you need for them to mentor you in. A mentor is somebody who gives you godly counsel, godly encouragement, who walks you through difficult and dark seasons of time, you know, like a Sherpa, you know, taking you up the mountain, encouraging you, showing you where to go, causing you to rest when you need to do it. It, it is a person who can come to you in those dark moments of life and give to you one of the most life-giving things, which is perspective. They can come to you and say, listen, I know by experience that right now, this thing that you're dealing with feels like it is this big. But I want you to know that it's actually only about this big. And we're going to get through this thing together. And whereas it's true that, you know, Moses or Jethro came along and gave to Moses qualifications for judges as opposed to mentors, I get that. When you look at the qualifications that he gave him for judges, you realize, yeah, I think that actually works for mentors too. Why? Because when I come to somebody and say, I want you to mentor me in this area of my life, what am I inviting them to do? I'm inviting them to critique this area of my life, to sit, in a sense, as a judge in this particular area of my life. So let's look at those again. Exodus 18, verse 21, he says, look for able men from all the people. Okay, we're talking about mentors, not judges, all the way back in the day of Moses. So we don't need men. Some of them may be men. A lot of them may be women, and that is good. But what he's saying is look for able people to do this, people who are really good at whatever it is that you want to get better at and you're inviting them to speak into your life on. Look for people, in his case, men who fear God, who know the Lord, who you look at spiritually and you go, wow, I admire that person. Look for people who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. People who have no agenda for you other than to help you follow Jesus better in whatever area of life that they're seeking to mentor you in. And as you continue to work your way through the Bible, you find all kinds of other qualifications as well. Now, why do I say that? Because the New Testament, for example, and I'm going to give you three examples, comes to us simply as believers in Jesus, as followers of him, as people who have his spirit, who are being formed into his image. And it encourages all of us to be all of these things. So you'll clearly want these in a mentor. So Paul comes in Philippians 2 and he says, okay, humble, unselfish. Things you're looking for. 
He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, which, by the way, should encourage us to offer ourselves as mentors too. I think mentors ought to be loving and thoughtful, considerate and encouraging, because that's what the writer to the Hebrews comes to us and says, all of us are to be. Hebrews 10, verse 24, he says, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, what day is that? It's the day that you and I as believers in Jesus are to live every day in light of. It's the last day. It's the day that recognizes that this world is not the only world that is. Lastly, I think mentors should be good listeners. Because that's what James commands all of us to be in James 1.19. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person, just imagine the value of this statement to all of your relationships, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. A mentor relationship can be short-term or long-term. You can have a lot of them in different areas of your life. But the point is, when I, gained, when I went to this story, I'm looking at Moses and I'm thinking, Okay, if this guy needs a mentor, how much more do I need one? So my question for you is, who are your mentors? And I'm going to tell you about a few of mine. So this past Wednesday, for example, I had lunch with a guy who is a wonderful guy. He's also a friend. That's the second category. We'll get to that in a minute. But every time that I have lunch with this guy, I know for a fact that he is going to ask me marriage and parenting questions. And the reason for that is he's a lawyer, so he's always going to ask questions. But in addition to that is that's his peculiar passion in life, okay? This guy and his wife have raised six amazing kids, the youngest of which I think is 18, super incredible parents. And it's his passion, not just for his family, it's his passion for my family, it's his passion for your families. Everybody he knows, this is his passion and so I know that, you know, we're going to get together and we're going to talk about whatever and we're going to catch up and that's going to be enjoyable. And then he's going to kind of, you know, cross-examine me in, in regard to marriage and family. And I'm all in. Do it. It's awesome. It's amazing. This guy prays for each one of my kids regularly by name and for Beth. It's magnificent. And so he'll ask me a question and I give him some more information and then he'll ask me three or four other questions and I give him some more information. And then he follows it up with all kinds of stories. Oh, here's what we did and here's what you know, worked and didn't work and here's some suggestions and here's what I know. The next time that I see him, he's going to ask me how I'm doing on all these suggestions that he's given to me and I know that that's actually also really good. Really, really good. Very helpful. I have a pastor friend uh, in North Lauderdale. Um, he and his wife, Beth, so he has a Beth, I have a Beth. They also have six kids, so that's a little bit weird. So now I've got two mentors with six kids. And I, here's what that does not mean. It does not mean that Beth and I are having more kids. It's just not, <laughs> like it would take an angelic visitation at this point for that to happen. So just don't even, don't even think that, okay? It's just happenstance. But anyway, he's a great guy. He's been a pastor for 30 years at the church that he's at. He called me on Friday. We're just catching up. His passion is soul care. He's actually leading the soul care initiative for Church United here in Broward County. He'd asked me to read a book, so I read it. And I had all kinds of questions I wrote in the back. And so we're working through it together, talking it through. We talk about ministry. So he calls me with the challenges that he's dealing with. I call him with challenges that I'm dealing with. Man, that is valuable. It's life-giving. 
It is life-giving when somebody goes, hey, buddy, I know it feels like it's this big. It's actually about, eh, it's about this big. And we're going to walk through this together. We're going to work through this together. We need mentors. But then secondly, we also need friends. And I have a definition for this too, and it's really an important one. So friends are, first of all, people with whom you share intentionally. Okay, you ready? This is the big word. Everything. And then secondly, they are people who are not overly impressed with you. It's important, isn't it? Share everything, and they're not overly impressed with me. Perfect. Because that's the kind of person who can come to you who actually knows because you've shared everything. And because they're not overly impressed... They're willing, if necessary, to bring you a difficult word. And sometimes that's necessary. Listen to what Solomon says in Proverbs 27, verse 6. He says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. What is he saying? He's saying, let me tell you who your real friends are. Your real friends are the ones who are willing to wound you in love if that's what help requires. It's remarkable. It's what Jethro does for Moses. I mean, I see him more in the mentor than the friend category, but nevertheless, again, he comes to the greatest man on earth and he says, what you're doing, quote, is not right. Well, that's not indirect. You know, he's not trying to shade it. He's not being subtle. And, you know, like to Moses' credit, being the greatest man in the world, he's not, you know, like checking his emails while Jethro's giving him his opinions on things, you know, because I'll I'll indulge you, you're my father-in-law. He's dialed in. He does exactly what his father-in-law tells him to do, which is evidence of his great humility. And guys, humility is the key. It is the key to having mentors, and it is the key to having true friends. Now, why do I say that? Because if you are the self-proclaimed expert on everything, and by the way, chances are at least that if you are the self-proclaimed expert on everything, you don't realize that, right? That is a total blind spot, isn't it? And what do you need? You need a true friend to come along and go, hey, man, you know, you're really a great guy and we love you and you have so many gifts and talents, but I'm kind of feeling like maybe you need to know that you come across at least, and I'm sure you're not intending to do this, as someone who knows absolutely everything about everything. And, you know, it's really not a terribly overly endearing thing. Like when you tell people, you know, like how to parent their kids and you don't even have kids yet, they don't want to invite you to their house anymore. Like, you know, they just, if you're wondering, yeah, that's the pro. Okay, so here's the deal. If you're the self-proclaimed expert on everything, what do you not need? Advice. Input. Mentoring. And if you lack the humility and self-awareness necessary to understand that apart from a, a, a group of people who really know what's happening in your life, and who are not so impressed with you, so they're willing to speak into your life, that if you don't have that, you'll get in trouble at least eventually. Uh, Then you will not have those relationships, and you will get in trouble at least eventually. That's the bad news. The good news is that the cross of Jesus Christ, guys, engenders within us exactly the kind of humility that we need in order to have mentors and in order to have true friends. Now, why do I say that? Because the cross of Jesus is grounded deeply in the reality that all of us everywhere are, in fact, hugely broken. That we are all of us needy 
that we are all of us weak, that we are all of us insufficient, that left to ourselves, we are none of us enough. We're not enough for ourselves. We're not enough for each other. We're not enough, certainly, for God. I mean, His standard is perfection, so, you know, good luck on that one. But that Jesus is enough. I mean, the gospel is that Christ came and lived the life that we have not and then suffered the death that we deserved. He's raised from the dead to offer us hope from the fact that we are so weak and insufficient. He lifts us up out of that. And what that frees us to do is to be able to be weak. It frees us to be able to be honest. First of all, with Him, I mean, there's no reason to hide it from Him. He knows everything anyway. But it frees us to be able to be honest with others too. To be able to open ourselves up and to be transparent with a group of other people. Why? Because my value then is no longer found. My significance, my self-worth is no longer found in my ability to impress other people. It's not found in what others think of me. But when the gospel gets down in your heart, you realize, no, 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 my value is found in what God thinks of me. And what is that? I mean, it's a mystery. I get that. But in the mystery of God, He thinks so much of me, He thinks so much of you, that He gave the life of His Son so that He might have relationship with you. And not just in this life, but for all of eternity. That is stunning value. That lets you be you with other people who you no longer have to impress. And I don't think, therefore, then, that you need to write all your secrets, you know, on your shirt or something and walk around town with it on. I, I don't think that's the deal. Um, but I do think that it means that you're free to share your secrets with a few good friends. And I use the word secrets on purpose because I think the addiction community has a lot to teach us in this regard. And incidentally, I also think that we're all addicts. But the addiction community comes to us and says, okay, so we're going to teach you something, something that we've learned by experience. And the something is this. It's contained in this statement. You are only as sick as your secrets. Do you know that one? You're as sick as your secrets. So then who knows your secrets? Who is it? Who are those people in your life that are committed to walking together with you in health and calling you, when necessary, out of sickness? Because there is huge power and great freedom. There is a massive unburdening to be found by those of us who swallow our pride and share our secrets with at least a small group of other people. So who are your friends? Because that's the description of a true friend. And I have, I'm blessed with a lot of those. I, I have those guys on our staff. I really do. We have an amazing staff of people. And those people are my friends. And some of them really, really close friends. Uh, beyond our staff and our church, I have that here. A lot of people in this church that I'm friends with. Beyond our church, and I think it's important for somebody in my position to have this too. I have friends like the two guys I've already told you about. There's a group of three guys here in our church, so four of us with me. Uh, and we talk all the time. So we're on a text chain together. So we're texting, how can I pray for you? What's going on? Blah, 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 blah. We meet together for lunch individually and collectively. Uh, we go out and do things together. We have vacation together, you know, as couples and as families. We go fishing probably twice a year uh, over in Chukaluski and, um, and just do that as kind of a guy's thing just to catch up. Uh, I got a text message from one of those guys Thursday night. I was here at a meeting, and he texted me, and he said, hey, I have some fish. Do you want it? And I texted back, the unmitigated gall of you to go fishing without me, you know. 
but at least you're trying to atone for your sin by giving me fish. So, um, so anyway, so I said, yeah, you know, so I drove by his house to pick the fish up on the way home, and uh, he was like sitting in the dark over on the side of his patio, so I'm walking up talking to myself because I'm that guy, and uh, to his door, and, and he goes, hey, and it scared me half to death, honestly. Um, I said, darn, or something that, to that effect, and... <laughs> And he gave me the fish, you know, and then we ended up just talking for, I don't know, 15 minutes or something. And what's really cool about somebody who knows your stuff and you know their stuff and you've walked together for a long time, about 15 minutes is about all you need at least to find out if you're really okay. Um, Do I need to circle back? How are you really doing? You need friends, guys. Who are your friends? So I close with this. What area or areas of your life do you need mentoring in? And here's a clue. What's too heavy for you? That's easy, isn't it? That was the deal for Moses. Who would be a good mentor for you in that area? And then lastly, do you have any friends with whom you're able to share everything and who are really not overly impressed with you? People who are committed to walk with you in health, but then to call you out of sickness. Uh, Because we need them. If Moses needed them, how much more do we? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your great gifts to us often come in the form of people. Lord, we thank you that you have condescended in the person of Jesus Christ to enter into this world as one of us to walk our streets, to experience our afflictions. Um, Lord, to redeem us and to make us whole by laying down your life that we might be free of so many of the things that we've encumbered ourselves with here in our lives. We thank you for your spirit who fills us and lives within us for your word which grants us wisdom and insight into your heart, which is a loving heart and a merciful heart, a gracious heart a heart full of wisdom. And we thank you, Lord, that beyond that too, you have given us people. You've surrounded us in a faith family with people and other people in that faith family outside of this church too. God, who can walk with us? Who can give us the oxygen of perspective when we need it? Who are not overly impressed and are able to speak hard words to us that in humility we can receive and be corrected and healed by Lord, encouragers, instructors, teachers, trainers, coaches, friends. I pray that you would give us the humility and the faith that we need to go out and find some and experience the richness therein. Do this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.